You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. Also the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Dundas, I believe it is. Uh, D-U-N-D-A-S. Up near Appleton, around Kakana. Uh, But shouts to Junes on Twitter, at JunesFoshiz, who, a a commenter from all the way back in the day when we were still at Brewhoop and now doing other great things in the the bucks twitter sphere as well so shouts to him june's aka crocodile dundas (laughs) wow wow frank okay yes crocodile (laughs) dundas i'll go with it man (laughs) sounds good (laughs) Um, (laughs) the the man you just heard make that reference is uh the founder of brewhoop.com my good friend frank madden frank how you doing buddy Uh, i'm good as a uh we were just discussing uh, if you're um, not a Major League Baseball fan, then uh, you probably aren't aware. But the Milwaukee Brewers, the um, I, I don't know. I, I I was trying to think like, are they the sort of um, equally unsuccessful uh, baseball team to the Bucks in Milwaukee? I don't I don't know how you'd exactly yeah. you'd compare um, their histories. I mean, the Bucks were awesome in like obviously the '70s. 80s so i feel like it's almost like unfair to really lump them in with the brewers because the brewers have been sort of really consistently mediocre to bad for the vast majority of their existence i feel like um so uh that that might be unfair but but yeah as a um as someone who grew up in the in the 90s um in uh in milwaukee um you know not a lot to not a lot to cheer about with the brewers uh (laughs) finally had a Finally had playoffs in what 2008 2011, yep. um, which had some some high notes, um, and now the Brewers clinching. And and we were talking about this; they clinched a playoff berth, but kind of an asterisk to me, just because they really only clinched a, a one game wild card playoff. They For still now, have a chance yes. at the Central Division, which you know, fingers crossed. But um, they were going nuts, and part of me was just like, wait, there's a good chance they only get one more game out of this in the playoffs. So anyway, hopefully. Uh, Obviously, they, they get the division and catch the Cubs and um, many more wins after that. But um, either way, a very cool story because uh, the Brewers certainly, if, if you are not a baseball fan, um, they let's just say they uh, they hit rock bottom a couple of years ago and um, they, they've had a remarkable rebuild these last uh, last couple of years. So fun, fun times for a fun team. Yeah, as I say, they empowered a young nerd and now that nerd is like making insane awesome decisions and trading for the MVP possibly of the National League and Christian Yelich and signing Lorenzo Kane who's been fantastic for them as well getting five all-stars uh just kind of doing all sorts of stuff and uh kind of turning it around so yes it is 
fun and exciting times for the Milwaukee Brewers. And hopefully none of you have been too annoyed by my Brewers tweets because obviously I've spent the summer at Miller Park. So kind of kind of a, a cool thing to get to see them have some success. And we'll see if that success can continue into the playoffs. And I, I guess, I mean, we'll see if it sets the tone for the Milwaukee Bucks and success in the playoffs because uh, maybe that, that could happen this year. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the Bucks. Uh, obviously, we asked for mailbag questions. Uh, if you saw me at Eric underscore name or at F Madden NBA, uh, on Twitter, we both tweeted out looking for some questions for uh, a training camp mailbag. We'll see how far this goes. Uh, the plan was sort of that this will uh, go long enough to be both the Thursday and Friday podcast. We're not 100% sure that'll be the case, but that is our plan. And we'll see if that works out. But I guess with all of that being said, uh, Frank, you want to you wanna kick this thing off? Sure. Um, and we really don't have a lot of like organization to this. So I I'll, I'll try to group these like we usually do um, to make sure I think we should be able to get to, to all these questions. Um, you know, it's training camp roster battles are a major topic. Um, so we've got a, a couple that, that get at that. Um, Nate Warren asks Christian Wood or Tyler Zeller referring to Christian Wood. Who's got uh, obviously one of the non-guaranteed slots, although he does have a hundred K guaranteed or Tyler Zeller, um, who is sort of the only kind of, I guess we'd say like kind of returning rotation guy who, who doesn't have a guaranteed contract. Um, and similarly, um, kind of a little bit different angle. Uh, Muppet Babies at the Spangover, my favorite uh, Twitter screen name that we regularly get questions from. Shout out Muppet Babies. Um, asks the obvious question, pick two. Zeller, Wood, Mohammed, Wilson, Frazier. And I'll add one more into this just because it, it dovetails a little bit. Uh, TD at Thomas Dietz asked, do you think the Bucks could cut DJ Wilson after one year? This coaching staff has no ties to him. So um, why don't we take this kind of piece by, why don't we kind of work it backwards? Um, I, I guess first off, you know, I, I want to talk about the the pick two out of that group question. But before we get into that, I mean, like, it, could you see DJ Wilson actually not being one of the one of the two out of that group of five, because certainly he has a guaranteed contract for this year, at least uh, he does have a team option that has to be picked up for the uh, 1920 season by this, the end of, of October. Um, what would be your prognostication on DJ Wilson? And then we can get kind of these, re- the rest of these guys. I mean, it seems incredibly unlikely to me. Uh, and I understand that, as we've talked about throughout the summer, as we've talked about since he got here, Mike Boonholzer is going to have a little bit more sway uh, in this in the in the kind of decision making process than you know just a coach. Like he will help out throughout all of this. That that is something that you know the organization has kind of talked about in the past. Certainly, they empowered Kid in that way. Um, maybe they've learned a few lessons and won't empower uh, Mike Boonholzer to the exact same extent, but I do think we'll see Mike Boonholzer kind of participate in those things. And I mean, despite that, I don't think he's going to come in and just cut uh, a a second year guy. um, Someone that was a former first round pick. I think John Horst would have um, enough say to be like, no, you know what, let's give DJ another year. And ultimately that year might not be, all that fruitful. Um, but I think he gets another year. And I mean, maybe the more interesting question to me is, do you pick up his year three option, which is 
I, I mean, pretty much a guarantee for first round picks. Like it's, it's really rare to see someone not get that option picked up. But to me, I, that is the more interesting question uh, surrounding DJ Wilson than will he or won't he be on the, the opening night 15 man roster. Like, he's going to be there. Like I, I just don't see any way that they're going to cut ties quite this soon. And um, it seems far off to me. What, what do you think? Yeah, I would doubt he he is cut. I mean, we I think we've talked in I guess this is sort of what the question gets at, but um, and we've talked about it, right? Like, irrespective of contracts, like, would you like you know if it was just a bunch of guys, like, would you actually want to keep DJ Wilson over some of these other guys? And you know, I think we've talked about specifically against Christian Wood. They're basically the same age, um, and you know, I think with Wilson, um, you know, aside from the fact that he has a frame that in theory seems very suitable to the modern NBA in terms of being like a tall, long guy who's not like super skinny and seemingly moves well. And he can shoot from the outside a little bit. Like there's kind of the vague outline of, of an NBA player there, but just hasn't obviously pieced together in terms of, you know, being able to convince either last year's coaching staff that he worked and, and made sense. And, and obviously, you know, we didn't seem like a kind of dramatically different player, um, at summer league this year. So I would, I would agree. I think the kind of, um, kind of middle of the road sort of, um, DJ skeptical, uh, take would be, you know, he's not going to get cut, but he won't have his option picked up. Um, and that, that option, I mean, you know, we, we've seen this become much more of a thing in recent years where teams have been, uh, willing to just cut bait on, on even pretty high first round picks. Um, yep. where, you know, again, teams have said, you know, you know what, we just don't really, um, we just don't really think it's, it's worth the the trip. Um, you know, I mean, uh, Joe Alexander was one of the really early, uh, I think at the time he, at the eighth, as the eighth pick in the 08 draft, he was the, the highest pick first round pick ever to not have, um, his third year option picked up. Um, you know, we saw Mario Hazonia have an option not picked up former fifth overall pick, um, Rashad Vaughn, obviously most recently in Milwaukee. Um, not getting his option picked up. That was it. It was fourth year option. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think teams, especially with, you know, an eye on cap space and flexibility, I mean, look, like if you don't see a guy becoming, you know, a decent rotation player, um, I mean, again, like unless the guy just has like some crazy amount of upside that you want to gamble on, um, you know, I mean, again, I think as much as people are also kind of valuing first round picks by probably more than they ever have, I think there's also like a more, um, more rational view of of kind of not just sticking with guys forever just because you know you picked a guy and you want to you want to you know not admit that that it didn't work out. So I mean that's why, I think with DJ, I was gonna say that's why I think this is a big training camp for DJ Wilson. Like yeah. it's not necessarily to keep himself from getting cut. It's to like those those second year options come up at what or the third year options come up at what Halloween. I think that those yeah, that's like the a, date yeah, like later this month. Yeah. So like to me, th- what he needs to get done now is he needs to impress Mike Boonholzer. And maybe that means getting into the rotation, but I, I don't think that's what it means. I think it means like, Hey, convince bud that you're worth having around for another year that, you know, maybe next summer is cap stuff gets sorted out and they need someone that they can 
play for cheap, like you can be that guy. To me, that's that's what this training camp is about for DJ Wilson. It's not necessarily cracking the rotation. It's cracking the the idea that you could one day crack the rotation. And that's kind of a sad spot to be in with a first round pick uh, heading into a second year. But uh, I mean, I just think that's the reality of the situation. So I think this is a huge training camp for DJ Wilson. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in, in their own way, I, I don't, I'm trying to think like when you think about like who has the most to prove um, this training camp, uh, it's easy to say, well, the guys with non-guaranteed contracts, cause they're literally fighting for their, for their job and, and fighting to get, you know, a, a spot in, in a way that maybe DJ Wilson isn't. Cause obviously we're, we're still expecting him to, to be on the roster, but um, th- it's a big fork in the road as far as that option goes, because I mean, if they don't pick up the option um, I mean, that, that kind of would seem to seal his fate in many ways. Right. I mean, they can always, they could always re-sign him next summer, but you know, I mean, if you're not willing to, you know, kind of gamble and you say, well, we're committing $3 million to our, you know, first round pick from last year, that's just too, too tall of an order. <laughs> not exactly a, a you know a, a big vote of confidence and so you'd expect him to be gone right yep and and i think that's kind of the the best argument for you know i think the question in the first place right from 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 thomas Dietz is is i mean if you don't want to pick up his option why even keep him around yeah. right i mean it's a sunk cost if you know and if for instance i mean if he's like the third or fourth best player out of that group we mentioned what why are you keeping him around like are you are you because he's going to be uh he's going to help you this year but you don't think he's got a future beyond that i mean no like you know the really the only hope is that he's maybe figure something out over the long term so i think in the grand scheme i mean that, that, that's really that was always sort of my argument for you know why you might want to gamble on a guy like wood over a guy like like dj um but uh yeah like like you said i think um there's probably he'll get maybe a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt unless you know there's you know, unless he, I don't know, was kicking Mike Budenholzer's puppy or something over the summer and, you know, completely alienated himself from, from the franchise, which, you know, is always possible. But, uh, but yeah, I expect him to be, you know, at least on the, the roster this season. And then probably that, that might be it. Um, so if you had to pick, though, um, I guess to answer Muppet Baby's questions, um, you, you get one more out of that group. So Tyler Zeller. Christian Wood, Shabazz Muhammad, Tim Frazier, um, assuming that, you know, y- y- Wilson is sticking around. Um, let me ask this. Who would you pick to to day- take uh, out of that group? And who do you think, you know, what would be your projection if you had to guess uh, as far as who comes out of that uh, from to make the, the big club? I mean, for me, when you look at those first 14 contracts for for the Bucks. Um, or 13 contracts, I suppose. When you look at those contracts, I think you see, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of guys there that can play basketball that are rotation players. Like I don't, I think in years past, a a guy like Zeller, who's going to provide you depth. I think you'd have been like, you know what, that, that'd be really nice to have another big that, you know, you know, maybe it's not going to be spectacular, but he can give you 15 minutes a night. And that's that's really helpful. Um, but when you when you look at those other thirteen uh, taking DJ Wilson out of it, like you look at a number of guys that can really help and a number of guys that can really play. So maybe something like that isn't quite as helpful. So for me, that that kind of eliminates all the veterans. Like that eliminates Zeller. That eliminates Muhammad. That eliminates Frazier because 
I don't know that I necessarily need any of those three. Um, I, I think the Bucks have plenty of depth. And again, you can get wrecked by injuries and, and that can change somewhat quickly. But I, I don't... I don't know that a couple of injuries can really wreck this roster. I think there's enough depth there that you can survive. So for me, I think you gotta, you gotta at least have an upside play at the bottom of the roster somewhere. And to me, I think I like Christian Wood to be that guy, like to have that upside and to kind of have a chance to pop at some point. And again, you know, maybe it doesn't work out and it doesn't, he doesn't end up popping. Um, but at the same time, I think you'd at least like to have that chance with the veterans you have on the roster already. And I think the confidence you can have in the first 13 guys that, you know, maybe you can take a little bit of a chance there and not necessarily know how Christian Wood will contribute, but know that, you know, if you develop him and continue to work on his game, like maybe he can be uh, an even bigger contributor uh, going forward. So that would be where I would like to go. Um, where would you like to go? And then I can tell you what I think is going to happen. Yeah, my my head is saying Tyler Zeller, but Eric, my heart is saying Christian Wood. Um, <laughs> so I, I think if I had to put money, I think the the safe bet would be that that Tyler Zeller is the guy who, who survives camp. Um, I mean, we both, I think, liked a lot of what he provided in the regular season in particular, good chemistry with yep. Giannis. Um, you know, plays his role, nothing special, especially defensively, but um, is a guy who, you know, is a good finisher with both hands, just kind of knows how to find soft spots um, around the, you know, around the paint um, offensively. And, um, you know, again, I don't know if you're really expecting him to play much, Um and I think that's probably the best argument for for not uh, not bringing him uh, back this year is that he's obviously a pure five, and you've got a lot of fives, <laughs> and slash a lot of guys who can play the five, um, and that includes Christian Wood. But it's also possible that um, that Wood you can make a case that Wood you know can also be a four. Um, and, and again, in, in summer league, he was playing mostly as a five. And again, maybe that's partly just because, you know, summer league, like there, you know, aren't tons of like quality big men in the first place. Um, So it will be interesting. And I know um, Budenholzer referenced, uh, or at least in the the presser today or the after um, practice um, media availability, Budenholzer was kind of asked about, you know, Wood and and how Wood's often had to defend Giannis, which, which is interesting, right? Because it would imply that, you know, Wood is, is playing more as a four um, in, in some of the, maybe the scrimmages that are happening. Um, and as we've said, I mean, there's actually a lot of physical similarities between Giannis and Wood when you just think about their frame. Um, and, and again, like, you know, Wood is clearly the homeless man's homeless man uh, version of Giannis. Like we're not <laughs> implying there's any, you know, that, that Wood is the next Giannis or something, but, um, they're similarly sized and, and, you know, Wood does have kind of an interesting ability that we noted of, being able to actually, you know, put the ball on the floor a little bit and use his long strides and he Euro steps certainly more than your average big man. And he's able to play with some force, even though he's not like, you know, a big bruising type of guy, but like some of his dunks and finishes um, are pretty impressive. So I think Wood is the most interesting guy. Um, Again, like, you know, odds of any of these guys really making a meaningful impact on this team this year, low, right? I don't think that 
were were arguing that you know you got to take this guy because he's going to be you know definitely going to be a rotation player. Um, but that said, you know I look at the rest of the guys who who are in this discussion. Shabazz again, <laughs> for all his small sample brilliance uh, in that limited time last year in Milwaukee, we we have a much much larger sample um, of of Shabazz being a a very poor and ineffective player. Um, especially in terms of just like net uh, impact um, during his time in Minnesota, you know, he has been a bucket getter at times, um, which, you know, again, I'm sure has its appeal to some, but um, you know, again, I, I don't think he's uh, an obvious kind of guy. And I mean, we've debated even like, well, what position is this guy even? I know you, you were talking about him as a shooting guard. I was like, is he more of a small ball four? And I mean, who knows, right? Like he's kind of hard to, to, to figure out because he does have kind of a weird game and, and that maybe makes him a bit harder to fit into kind of a you know it makes it the weirder you are as a player kind of the, the harder it often is right because especially with these guys coming off the bench it's like you want guys who kind of fit kind of common archetypes that you can just sort of put in a box and say all right do this right and show is kind of weird because he kind of wants to post up smaller guys and shoot one-handed floaters and you know do things that <laughs> six six two thirty pounder three hundred thirty pound guys don't usually do so um so he's a bit weird um but uh, but yeah, I, I'll say um, I'll say again, Zeller, my most likely guy to make the roster. I would take Christian Wood over him, um, and again, in part just because, you know, look, if if you had only two centers on the roster and you felt like you needed, you know, if if your if your only big men were like Thon Maker and Brook Lopez, and you wanted like to have one more legit true big man on the roster, then I think it's easier to say, well keep Tyler Zeller because you want that insurance policy. Um, but you've also got Henson, right? You've got Henson and Lopez and Maker. And you've got Ursan and Giannis who can play some center. So, you know, going for just like another kind of traditional center, I mean, a lot of stuff has to happen for Tyler Zeller to really play meaningful, consistent minutes. Yep. Um, and, you know, I think that's the, an argument for kind of getting a little weird and, and going for a guy who, who, again, not that Christian Wood's some huge star upside player, but he has the upside to be a bit more dynamic and a bit different in ways that, that Zeller, uh, Zeller won't be. So, all right, I think we beat those questions to death, right? Yeah, or no, you still have to tell me who you think. It'd be Zeller, be. yeah. Or, or who, you, who you think will be picked. Yeah, I think it's Zeller. Like, you just look at, out of that list, the the most consistent NBA contributor is, is Tyler Zeller. Um, and again, I understand that you don't really have a, a ton of room or opportunity for him, but that's kind of true of anyone that's on the 15th spot of the roster, or at least it should be. Um, it wasn't the case last year as the Bucks were regularly playing the guy in the 15th spot of the roster. Um, but that shouldn't be the case. You, you should have enough depth. And I think this Bucks team has improved that depth and I, I, there's just not going to be much opportunity, but I do think Zeller's the, the guy there that was the most con- consistent contributor out of, out of any of those guys. Uh, we haven't really talked about Tim Frazier much. Um, I think we mentioned him when it was revealed that he actually was going to be in camp, which we kind of didn't know about until it, kind of had happened um and we joked about how little we expected to talk about tim frazier but um i don't know like do you do you foresee any scenario where tim frazier could actually make this basketball team hmm i mean it not really i mean i just don't i don't know what he brings to the table that that you'd be looking for like six foot that can't shoot threes 
Um, I'm not too excited about that. Um, maybe I should be more excited about that. I know uh, there's been times where he's been able to put up some like impressive assist numbers in per 36, and his speed can be a little bit of a like of a a tempo changer, maybe a little bit of like a game changer. But I mean, I like you have Eric Bledsoe. Like Eric Bledsoe is the idealized version of Tim Frazier. Like he's super duper strong. He's also super duper quick, and he can shoot threes. Like. Yeah, you have Eric Bledsoe, so why do you need Tim Frazier? Yeah, well, I would say um, you have Eric Bledsoe and Malcolm Brogdon and Matthew Delvadova, and you know, unless unless they really do view Brogdon as a shooting guard and not a point guard, and they feel like they need another pure point guard, which I would say they don't probably. <laughs> um, that that would that would be my argument. You know, I think again at some point, you know. Um, you also have to factor like, well, do you need this guy in your roster or can you just get a guy like that uh, out of the G League? And um, I, I don't know. It's kind of weird. I, I, I've just like assumed Tim Frazier was a, an NBA player the past few years. I mean, he, he has actually started a fair number of games part due to kind of injuries and things like that. But um, he's, he's been certainly a respectable, you know, bench type player. Um, but yeah, on this team, I, I would guess he won't. And again, there's just that seeing those three point shooting numbers just doesn't feel like a guy that makes a really compelling case. Um, let's go to, uh, to the next questions. Um, uh, Gams Charanya, uh, asks at kid ziggurat asks, uh, do you think Bud actually wants everyone to shoot threes? Cough, cough, John Henson, or is it more just an attitude adjustment? Shout out to ESPN White Plains, New York. We missed that one, Gam. So, um, <laughs> your Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN White Plains, New York, uh, apologizes. Uh, yeah. What, what do you think about that? Like, I know we've talked about. Um, I've brought up um, kind of a similar thing, like like which I think is going on here with that that um, like Mike D'Antoni is kind of known for, which is you know Mike D'Antoni really doesn't dissuade guys from shooting three pointers like he'll he was actually very tolerant of um guys just putting up shots putting up threes and that's kind of my interpretation of what he's doing here um but certainly a guy like henson's an interesting kind of boundary case because you know it's there's some guys is like yeah we want to get people confident but i mean do you really want john henson shooting three pointers um i don't know what do you think 22 players played a game for the atlanta hawks last year how many do you think did not take a three? Uh, one. Miles Plumley played 55 games and did not take one. And Jeremy Evans played, uh, let's see, one game and did not play one. So I think one is about right. <laughs> um, so like that, it's, it's very real. Um, I don't necessarily know that... Um, Comparing and uh, kind of using the the crappy Hawks team from last year as an, an equivalent situation to what's going on in Milwaukee is necessary in um, exactly what you'd want to do. But uh, I do think, one, it is definitely about training everyone like, hey, we shoot threes. That's what we do. Like, And in some way, you're just kind of letting all those guys know, like, this is what we do. This is our identity. We're a team that shoots threes. You have that freedom. You play within the game. 
if you get a good look, take it. Like that's all that's, those are all good things. And then there is like the other part of it that they legitimately do want that. And, and to me, the big, the big thing with Boonholzer is, um, and again, it, it is just kind of uh, this weird perception versus reality kind of thing where, you know, he, he's seen as the, the offensive guru when really he focuses, tends to focus more on defense and then just lets guys play with freedom offensively. Um, but, you know, part of playing with freedom is, you know, not fearing, thinking you've taken a terrible shot, like not getting screamed at for taking a shot five seconds into the shot clock. Like that isn't something that, you know, he's really going to do. Like if you put in effort on the defensive end and if you try there, well, then you're probably going to be allowed to have the green light. Um, and I mean, they had some bad three-point shooters last year. And sadly enough, at the top of the list is Dennis Schroeder, who was third in attempts on the team at 29%. Uh, but still, like that, that is very much what Bud is about. So um, whether or not John Hens, I, I mean, if you're asking me if I think John Henson is going to shoot some threes this year, yeah, I do. I, I really, truly do. Um, I mean, you look at a guy like Dwayne Dedman, who wasn't shooting threes before uh, coming to Atlanta with Bud. He shot, uh, let's see, 141 last year at a 35.5% clip. Uh, I, I, that's just Bud. Like, that's that's what he wants. He wants to empower offensive players. So, um, yeah, I, I do think it is real that you ask, is it, will everyone actually shoot threes or is it more just an attitude adjustment? I think it's both. I think it is an attitude adjustment and I do think everyone will shoot threes. Yeah. I think um, it's interesting because a lot of the talk was around, you know, like Henson and, and Henson was one of the, I think one of the first people who commented during the summer about how um, Budenholzer wanted even his big men to be able to shoot threes, especially from the corner. And so, you know, there's been a lot of kind of murmurs and, and discussion around Henson and, and the like shooting threes, you know, at least corner threes perhaps. And, and that's a big difference just because, like, I mean, the Bucks' offense in the past, and we've talked about John Henson being, you know, a guy that was was touching the ball a lot and, and you know, and handoffs and um, trying to, you know, make bounce passes, things like that on cutters. Um, you know, if he's in the corner, that's that's interesting. If for no other reason, then it means that John Henson isn't in the places we're kind of used <laughs> to seeing him at. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. I was just looking at the Hawks from last year. So if you, if you look at per 36 minutes – um, three point attempts per 36. Chris Middleton last year averaged average 4.9 three points, three pointers attempted. Oh, per this 36. is about to be sad. I'm gonna I'm gonna list off all the Hawks who averaged more three pointers attempted per 36. I'll start with some that are kind of obvious. Um, Marco Bellinelli, of course. True. Luke Babbitt, of course. Um, uh, Torian Prince. I mean, not <laughs> obvious that Torian Prince yeah. shoot a lot more. He shot 6.7 threes per per uh, per 36. Um, other guys who shot more than Chris per 36. Kent Bazemore, 5.5. He was 39%, so he was good. Um, Ursan Ilyasova, 5.2 threes per 36. Shot 36%. Mike Muscala, 5.7 three-pointers attempted per Jeez. 36. He shot 37%. Tyler Dorsey, 7.4 at 36%. Uh, Tyler Kavanaugh, 6.2 at 36%. I think Tyler Kavanaugh is like, isn't he just like a bulky, like white center guy? I think, um, if I recall correctly. Um, so he took more threes than Chris Middleton per 36 minutes. Uh, Damian, Damian Lee, 
5.3 threes per 36. I don't know anything about Damian Lee. Apparently what's Drexel. Um, Andrew White, I don't know anything about Andrew White. He averaged 8.4 threes per 36. Um, Nicholas Bersino, uh, I think, is he an Argentine guy? I mean, he's a Euro, so, or an, Ita- or, uh, an international player at least. So um, I guess, yeah, he's got to shoot more threes than Chris Middleton. <laughs> Chris Middleton. But he barely played. But you, you kind of get the drift. Like, you know, you mentioned how few guys didn't shoot threes. You look at the entire roster, 22 guys who played last year. Um, the number of guys who shot... They shot threes. Yeah, the number of guys who shot fewer than 2.4 per 36 is Jeremy Evans, who played one game. Plumley, who did play a lot, but is Miles Plumley. Um, shout out to the Miles Plumley uh, toothbrush holder promotion that never happened. Um, <laughs> and then John Collins. John Collins was basically the only guy who um, shot threes as though Jason Kidd coached him. He only took 0.9 per 36 last year. So... You know, again, fact or fiction, does Mike Budenholzer like to shoot threes? It would seem that Mike Budenholzer likes for his guys to shoot threes because certainly not like, you know, not like a murderer's row of, of three-point shooters on that team last year, but um, they obviously were made an emphasis to have even guys who, as you mentioned, Deadman, um, who, who did not historically shoot a lot of threes. Um, he obviously, um, you know, also uh, ended, up, ended up shooting a, a good number. Uh, our friend Troy Sampson uh, noted that as well in our in our uh, our mention. So shout out to Troy. So yeah, uh, I, we mentioned Middleton. Um, I think there was some talk about him specifically and about him, uh, you know, mentioning that he's you know going to be confident to just let the ball fly. He's not going to turn his back on his mid range game, but um, instead of going up for those kind of one two dribble pull ups, he's he's going to feel more confident, more comfortable, just you know firing away from, from distance, which of course is, um, we don't want to, we don't want to get too excited, Eric, but <laughs> as, uh, people who have talked about Chris Middleton needing to shoot more threes. And as you have written, um, you know, several books worth of, uh, internet posts about Chris Middleton needing to shoot more threes. Uh, we are of course very happy to, uh, to hear any illusion, whether it is, you know, real or not, uh, of, of Chris Middleton shooting more threes. Um, yeah. Anything else on that? No. Um, I, I don't, you're not a Seinfeld guy, are you? Um, I watched like every Seinfeld as they came out. Um, cause I'm old. Um, so I've like, I've probably seen every Seinfeld, but then I never watched them in syndication. So like, I can't really quote it very well. Um, but I think you might know this one. Budenholzer's, Budenholzer's three point attempt rate is real. And it's spectacular. Shout out to Terry Hatcher. Yep. Uh, so yes, that I, I do think uh, everyone will be shooting threes. I, I just think that's how it's going to go. Um, and again, there's probably going to be some growing pains in that. Uh, you know, guys figuring out what a good one looks like and uh, trying to figure out exactly when they should take them. And again, like they're not going to get screamed at for taking one, but you know, all those things kind of figure themselves out and you probably get a little rhythm and kind of understand exactly uh, what the offense is looking for and when it's looking for those shots. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be shocked if during the green and cream scrimmage on Saturday, John Henson cans a three. I won't be. I think that that is, you know what? That's an interesting prop bet, but I I do think it'll happen. I mean, he hit two threes in his very first summer league. He was two out of three. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, last year he's he always been a shooter. He's always been a last shooter. Last year he hit his first NBA three pointer. 
Um, so really trending in the right direction. <laughs> All right. I think that's where we'll cut off today's episode. Uh, we're about halfway through the mailbag or so. Uh, a lot more stuff coming up here in the second half. We're going to talk a little bit about Giannis and his leadership. We're going to talk a little bit more about Don Maker. Uh, and we'll reject some over-unders, and we'll talk about some other stuff. So it it should be fun. Uh, Hopefully you guys will be all ready to go and excited for that second part of the training camp mailbag. All of that coming up tomorrow on Lockdown Bucks. For Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.